Hey there, Lighthouse family. This is Patrick Hawks here with Lighthouse Stories. Grant is currently out of the office right now, so I'm introing this week's episode on my own. Uh, this week, we've got our good friend in here, James Frangella, um, just a man with a real servant's heart towards the poor and the homeless uh, with the I Help Ministry and then lunches on Saturdays in the park. Um, just an amazing man to talk to, amazing man to listen to lots of stories about surfing and Hawaii and just... He's been a lot of places in life, so this has been a lot of fun for me, especially as someone who is newer to the church. This has just been a really fun project, getting to know all of the amazing people here at Lighthouse Baptist. We do apologize for releasing this uh, a bit late. We had some technical difficulties uh, with the production of the episode, but all that's been smoothed out, and everything sounds good, and I hope you enjoy. Have a great week. Years ago, 18, 19 years old, my mother come, came to Hawaii to visit me. Uh-huh. And uh, she wanted to go on a picnic. Okay. So we, she prepared this entire meal, and it rained. Yeah. And we never had so much fun together. Is that Sitting right? Sitting at the picnic table at this park in Hawaii <laughs> on the Big Island, raining, and we were laughing, and well, it kind of rains every day in Hawaii, doesn't it? <laughs> like, isn't that kind of the, the thing? That's it's true. At some yeah. point in the day. My sister lives in Oregon, and she says, if it says 50% chance of rain in California, that means there's a 50% chance that it might rain today, yeah. that you'll get rain at some point. Where in Oregon, if it says 50% chance of rain, they mean it's going to rain half the day. Half the day. <laughs> 50% of the day will be rain. 50% of the day will be rain, yeah. Hey, well, that's a good start. Uh, so I'm here with my dear friend, James Frangella. James, thanks for coming in today. Oh, well, my pleasure. Talking with us. We cannot leave this conversation without talking about surfing oh. <laughs> uh, at length. I want the most in-depth surfing conversation. If we talk at all about surfing, it'll be the most in-depth surfing conversation of this podcast history. Mm. But uh, but let's set the bar high as, as we talk about surfing. And uh, and I want to talk about um, your heart for the homeless and not just homeless, but really downtrodden people who need some help. Mm. Um, but let's start with your story. Like what? Uh, and we want to talk about what gives you hope and what gives you joy. But I have a feeling as we're talking about surfing and homeless ministry, we're going to we're going to hit what gives you joy and yeah. what gives you hope. Yeah, yeah those will be the things. So where's your story start? Where are you born? I was born in Pittsburgh, California, which um, at the time was a camp. Camp um, Stoneman, I think it was. <laughs> My father was in the military. Okay. And um, I was born Camp Stoneman, I think it's called. And And so since your dad was in the military, I'm guessing you didn't stay there too long. For long. Yeah. So was it a, a childhood of moving around a lot? Not really. Um, uh, my father was in the Nor uh, Normandy invasion. Really? Uh, yeah, and uh, of course landing on the beaches. And I believe he was like maybe the second or third wave. You know, he wasn't wow. one of the combat guys. He was in the support um, position. But you know, uh, a soldier can't fight on an empty stomach yeah. <laughs> so my dad was there to feed him and was he a sure. cook yeah all right um, 
mess sergeant, I think they were okay. called back yeah. in those yeah. days. And, yeah. uh, I'm very proud of him in that fact. He was a great cook. And one of the stories I remember is that he ran a, 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 a mess hall. Yeah. And his food was so good that soldiers and officers from the other mess halls would come <laughs> to his, even though they weren't in the same regiment or company. Yeah. They would come to his to eat there. And I have pictures of him standing in his uniform with all these commanders and officers with these awards that he gave that they he received for yeah. his uh, his cooking so that was kind of cool anyway but my mother's french he saw her on the streets of paris i see this is why we're doing this podcast this is already <laughs> an amazing story your dad was at the at, was on the beach at Normandy. Yeah, but not with the bullets flying, you know. Look, not man, like in private I've Ryan, never even... Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty impressive uh, sacrifice and, and, and just experience. I mean, talk about one of the most pivotal days in, in the history of the world. That's true. That invasion. Right. And so he's there, and then he met your mom? Yeah, when they liberated Paris, you know... Um, and I didn't know this. I always thought all my life that she was from Paris, de uh, Paris. But no, she was from one of the villages. And um, you know, after the depression or during the depression and the mm -hmm. Nazi occupation of France, these young gals, you know, were looking for a better life. And they heard about the American soldiers with their chocolates ah. and their nylons. Ah. <laughs> and so, um, like a lot of these young gals, they would come to the big cities to meet American Looking soldiers. Looking for a, a husband. Another life, yeah. Wow. And she met your dad? and Yeah. And uh, my father's an Italian-American. He's second generation. <clears throat> Grew up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, in Little Italy. And uh, went to school supposedly with Al Capone's son. I was going to say Italy and Chicago during the Depression. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be careful what we say. That sounds dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they, his, my grandfather, um, didn't want him to. They didn't even want to speak Italian in the family. He wanted them to be really? Americans. Yeah. Huh. So and he and didn't want my father to hang around in the neighborhoods because of the Italian gangsters, you know, the mob that was going on in those days, you know. So he made him work. My uncle and my my um, father would work all the time, and um, and spoke English. Mm -hmm. But of course, you speak Italian if you're living in Little Italy, you sure. know. But so anyway, I joined the army and went into to Europe. And met my mother, and I've always wondered, uh, how do you fall in love with someone you can't talk to? I mean, she speaks French. She didn't speak any English. I was, you know? I was just, it's funny <laughs> you say that. didn't speak any French. It's but. funny you say that. I was, in my mind, I was like, is Italian and French close enough? But probably, I mean, not, not much, right? Really, much. I mean, they are Latin-based languages, yeah. and uh, the vowels are more or less pronounced the same as they uh -huh. are in Spanish, you know. Do you realize that, that? The vowel A, only in English do we have how many pronunciations of uh -huh. A? Yeah, too many. Yeah. <laughs> As we're in, in the Latin-based languages, A. Right. A is A. Yeah. And if you see the vowel A, 
you know, to say, ah, ah yeah. <laughs> English is just such an amalgamation of so many different. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So, so how do you fall in love if you are an Italian American? I, I, I have a French no idea. I, I can't, I guess the, the language of love is what, what happens or you learn French real quick. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. There's motivation <laughs> beyond what your high school teacher. Because I, I didn't know this, but my mother wasn't a really great student. So, uh, you know, some people can pick up languages immediately mm -hmm. and uh, others are a little slow with it, you know, and it may have something to do with their uh, schooling abilities or sure. capabilities. Sure. Know. So if so, they meet and got married very quickly. Yeah. And she moved back to America. She, well, yeah, my father's tour in Europe ended and uh at, in the beginning, she loved it because here he was, a, a, an American non-commissioned officer, and they had a German maid, you mm -hmm. know, and she never had to clean the mm -hmm. house and everything until she came to the United States, and then my father got stationed to Korea. So here she is stuck in the United States, not speaking English. Oh, my gosh. Two little boys. We did You were mentioning we traveled a lot. No, we didn't. Okay. He did, ah. uh, but we stayed behind. So in your house, did you speak French or yes. English or French? When I was, you can imagine as a little baby growing up, your first words. I mean, if she could, yeah. And to this day, I can understand it quite well. And and my father learned to speak French too, hmm. so they spoke French. So this is after World War II, but before the Korean conflict. Yeah, well, your, yeah. your dad is stationed in Korea during the, no, before the Korean conflict. I was born in '51. The Korean War ended in '54. I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just going it. through my memory banks. I'm definitely not googling anything right now. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so, so it's Korean, Korean. The Korean War is uh, June of '50 to July of '53. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, he was over there, and uh, so your dad was was providing food service for the soldiers at Normandy. And in Korea. In Korea. What an incredible... Did he talk? Did he tell a lot of stories no, about stuff? No, he didn't. My father was very quiet. Uh-huh. Very quiet about his life growing up. And uh, didn't, uh, my mother, of course, not. She would tell us everything we knew. Uh-huh. Everything, what was going on. Over <laughs> so there. where was home? Um, Fort Ord. My father, I think we were about five or six years old. So that would have been 56, 1957. Okay. <clears throat> Moved to Fort Ord, and we stayed on base. Huh. We had, you know, quarters and, there. And that's yeah. how you got to the peninsula. Mm-hmm. And your dad was off. Um, doing in, his army thing. Doing yeah. his army thing a lot, and you were growing up uh, on the base here. Mm-hmm. And, and one brother? One brother, yeah. No sisters? No sisters. So yeah. the two of you. And, and that was in the 50s, the late 50s, early 60s. You know, we lived uh, on base, mm -hmm. and it, it was the 7th Division, which was a mixed-race division. Huh. And a lot of the soldiers married Korean gals and Japanese gals and mm -hmm. um, German gals and French gals. And, and um, so everybody was all mixed up. And, and uh, it was quite a learning experience for me because all my friends were all mixed up. Yeah, you know, spoke different languages, different languages, and skin different skin, shades, shades and, and yeah. colors. But they didn't know any better. You know, well, that was that's what that. it was. Yeah, what know? an idyllic, really an yeah. idyllic way to grow uh, up. Yeah. Some of my best friends were Filipino Americans, and 
Japanese Americans, mm-hmm. African Americans mixed in with Germans and mm-hmm. all this stuff, and mm-hmm. it was just a wonderful. Uh, it was a lo- good life. You know, so do really. you remember a lot of different cultural pieces, like foods from all over? Not and so much, you know, that is... Everybody kind of ended up in America. Yeah, we were... <laughs> yeah. Everybody was... A, they were all Americans. That's right, yeah. You, know, you became an American. It doesn't matter, you know, what color you were or yeah. what nationality you were from or whatever. You know, you were an American. And this so. is not just going on in your neighborhood, but in your house. Do you Do yeah. you feel like your mom... Felt like an American, or did she feel like? Oh, uh, uh, you know, she, as I told you earlier, that her uh, language skills were somewhat limited. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thirty-five years in this country, and it looked like she just got off the boat yesterday. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, her accent was very, very strong. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I don't think her reading skills were really strong either. I had to help her read. Um, uh huh things in English for her, you know, and yeah. things like that. Were you close with her? Yeah. 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 She was a, a good, firm, you know. Yeah. Stern. Yeah. Of course. Raising a couple of boys, boys. you got to. <laughs> yeah. And in those days, none of this sit in the corner stuff, you yeah, know. No. I don't <laughs> time remember. Out, no, yeah, no, no, time out, no. No time out. The time. <laughs> pain. That's right. Yes. <laughs> the time out was the time while you were thinking about what was about to happen to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what the time out was. Well, let me tell you a quick story. She was not a big gal, and uh, as uh, you get older, you know, you, you start to look down at her because mm-hmm. you're getting taller. Yeah. And um, I don't know if this is going to be appropriate, but I'm going to go for it. Do it. Uh, yep. And uh, so my brother and I, we must have been about 15, you know, and we shared a bedroom together. And one of our things to do was to... Uh, Rile up the old doll is what we call it. And just, just rile her up, you know, <laughs> see what she could do, you know, because she couldn't hit us anymore. She it, do, mm. it doesn't hurt, you know what I mean? He just, it's so he just kind of wanted to irritate. Yeah, just you know, rile her up. Let's rile uh, her up. Okay. So we were in our bedroom, and mom and dad were in the kitchen cooking. My father loved to cook, you know, for big Italian dinners, you know, uh-huh. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So uh, we start banging on the walls, you know, like we were roughhousing. <laughs> and we could hear in the kitchen telling us to, in a heavy French accent, yeah. to, you know, be quiet, you know. Yeah. We stop yeah. and bang on the wall some more, <laughs> you know. And she could tell her tone of voice she was getting a little angry. <laughs> and we knew, you know, like what, what the outcome yeah. was going to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't hurt us anymore. We're you bigger know, than she is. You know? I, yeah. And so she would always go for my brother first. So I <laughs> put him in the in the corner by his bed with all these pillows, and all you could see was his, his eyes. And I banged on the door again, and then she comes in. She's coming in with the broom. So yeah. Like, oh no. <laughs> and he's he's and, got armor yeah, on. And, yeah. and I'm on my bed laughing hysterically, and she's just whacking. <laughs> <laughs> hitting, hitting him and this was probably in the 64 maybe yeah. or something and uh here i'm gonna go say this and i hope it's yeah well it is what it is that's right yeah and it, my brother would put his hand out in the pillows peace mom peace <laughs> yeah. with, with the peace symbol yeah. you know your fingers <laughs> like this 
And she would say, well, peace on you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she was trying to do is beat some peace into him. No, no, yeah. peace. On, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but just her English, you know, <laughs> she thought we were saying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, some fun memories. <laughs> sounds like, I, yeah, sounds like uh, a, a now, lively did, house. Did you do that when you were you a young boy? Did you I'll know? ask the questions here on this. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. We joke about it still. Like, you know, you know my 16-year-old son. Yeah, yeah. And he lives to annoy me. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, when, yeah. as soon as he walks in the door, he's just thinking of what can he do to irritate his old man, yeah, you know? Well, and, we, yeah. and Well, yeah, and he's a hugger, but we wrestle, and mm. he loves to just irritate me it's it's the way yeah, young yeah. men show love yeah. and um and we joke about it because i am 45 years old and my dad is 72 or something and still we joke like when i walk in the room i'm just trying to irritate my dad still <laughs> like i haven't outgrown it it's still like you yeah. know a, a, having your folks be a little bit irritated is right. a good time well that's fun so yeah. was um was there any faith in the family did you grow well, up catholic Okay. Yeah. Was that a regular Sundays? And- uh, yeah, in the beginning. Um, later on, um, both my parents were Catholic, you know, mm-hmm. very strict, mm-hmm. you know, Italian and the French, of course. Of course you bet. And, um, <clears throat> but I remember later on, we were invited to a um, Christian church by one of the neighbors or my father's co-workers or something. And mm-hmm. uh, my mom said, okay. So mm-hmm. we went to a little church in Marina, um, and and I remember that a lot. How old were you then? Probably uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, mm-hmm. around that mm-hmm. time. <clears throat> so I don't, how old would I be in the fifth grade? Yeah, 10, 11, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. 11, 12. Yeah, and so that was fun. <clears throat> I remember the, uh, you mentioned this in your sermons. You, I think you call it the cloth board. Oh, the, the flannel graph. The flannel graph, yeah. yeah, where you put up pictures yeah, of yeah. Jesus and Classics. all that stuff. I remember that a yeah. lot. <laughs> you know, so when you mentioned that in the sermons about the flannel board. A flannel graph, yeah. Flannel graph, whatever. Yeah. That's right, the flannel yeah. and yeah. things yep. stick. Yep. Yeah. You, you and I, yeah, and I remember, story. and growing up in church is such a cool experience, and you yeah. appreciate it in adulthood, you know, that, oh, these sweet, sweet people that just wanted to tell me about Jesus and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, as a punk kid, you just watch yeah. it and go, okay, so then like now here's happy disciples and they get ripped right. down and then there's sad <laughs> disciples that get put up on the board I, I do remember the Old Testament. I seem to really love, love the stories, especially mm. the military stuff, like the mm. walls of Jericho falling uh-huh. down and, you know, um, all the bad guys being wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah. That, I remember it was very intriguing. And one other thing that I do remember, even to this day, on the flannel board uh-huh. about um, Moses, or I don't quite remember the, who it was involved, but uh, God asked that the soldiers that lapped at Gideon, uh, yeah, like where you weren't supposed to, ch- he told the general not to choose those soldiers that That's lapped right. water like a dog, yeah, but to choose the ones that would cup it, yeah, and bring it to their mouth, yeah. For some reason, I still remember that, and mm-hmm. I remember the the little flannel figure on the board, <laughs> the one on his knees laughing like a dog. Look at this to loser. This, to this day, I don't do that with a faucet. You yeah. know what I mean? That's funny. <laughs> I don't. You know? Got to use the hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah use the cup in my hand. You know? Because you know how some guys will turn a faucet yeah. on and put yeah. their mouth right on the yeah. thing. You know? 
<laughs> That's funny. And you know, when you're a kid, I wish we still, it's hard not, it's hard to keep that wonder of like, as a kid, you're not thinking, what am I supposed to get out of this? You're mm-hmm. just thinking, this is a great story. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. just, and just learning the stories is so important. And another one that I remember too, in our Sunday school, there were signs for each of the books in the Bible. Oh, and signs. okay. Does hmm. that sound familiar? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, I never learned those. Yeah. Genesis. And, and, and you would repeat it. Everybody mm-hmm. would recite it and have these signals, hand signals that would represent, you know, the different. I could never keep up. Everybody, some of the kids just had it down <laughs> so just, chat, The know. only hand signs I remember is Father Abraham. <laughs> and he had many sons. Anyway. There's a, there, you know. That's such a great way to teach kids things. The, there's a really popular ministry called Through the Bible that they'll come and do seminars for grown-ups, And it's like on your feet and they'll teach you the biblical geography by, and over here is this and over here is this. Yeah. And they're doing hand signs. Makes for great podcast watching my hands fly around the room. <laughs> but they, they do have, they, they have like little mnemonic devices and stuff that you go, this is kid stuff. But man, it makes it easier. Look, I saw this when I was in college. I went to one of these seminars that said, up north is Galilee and then down south is Judea. And in the middle is Samaria. Some area. Some area. Samaria. And I've, I mean, I think of that all the time. Right. Like what a useful, some of those little, those things that you Ways you use to teach kids. They're good for grown-ups, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, growing up in Fort Ord, you went to seaside schools? Uh, Millie, uh, Fort Ord schools. Uh, oh, there were Fort Ord schools. Yeah, we, okay. it was a very, we had our own community there. Okay. You know? And it wasn't until my father retired from the military in 1964, we moved off base mm-hmm. and moved to seaside. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was an awakening, hmm. truly an awakening yeah, I, to go off base. Yeah. No sidewalks. The parts of Seaside in those days wasn't all that A little developed. tougher. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, no sidewalks. Wow, huh. this is weird. Because, you know, on, on a military base, everything is neat and clean. Huh. The yards you have to keep up. Huh. And there were sidewalks and gutters and sewer things that you could crawl down in <laughs> you know, yeah. as a kid. And, <laughs> Find a raccoon. Yeah. And uh, it was just different. So how old were you when you moved off base? Uh, fifth grade, right in the middle. Okay, of fifth right about grade. that same time you're going to Sunday school for the first time yeah. and doing all that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, your did your dad stay a cook? Yeah, he he worked in the restaurant business. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my mom uh, worked. Mm-hmm. She got a job and worked too. Hmm. And you went to Seaside High or Monterey well, High? Or? Well. Uh, Fremont Junior High School was right up where the condos are right. on Kimball yep. and Wheeler, yep. right down the street. Yep, um, That was our Fremont Junior High School. I went to Seaside Elementary for fifth and sixth grade mm-hmm. and then um, Fremont Junior High. And then they moved the line because remember, this is the mid-60s yeah, yeah. and desegregation. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, so a bunch of the Seaside guys and Monterey guys came together. Uh-huh. And then I went to Monterey High. Okay. So even though we lived in Seaside, but again, they moved the line to bring in more diversity, you know. So when does surfing take root? Um, pretty much the ninth grade, uh, which would be my freshman year at Fremont Junior High School. A couple of the kids that uh, came from Colton, mm-hmm. from Monterey, their yep. line got moved again, uh, were surfers. So we thought, who are these guys? 
Why are the girls hanging around? <laughs> yeah. what, do they, what do they have? What, do they have? what, are, what is this surfing Intrigue. thing? So you go down to the beach, and of course, even when we were living in Seaside, we weren't that far away from the beach. Yeah. Know? So, um, and at that time, I was Mr. Jock. I, I was really into sports, um, especially track and wrestling that I really loved. And uh, um, I was selected to be a student leader. You had little gold stripes on your blue gym shorts. And, <laughs> and that made you a student leader. And <clears throat> I was really into that, the whole school scene and, you know, <clears throat> Mr. Popular and uh-huh. lots of lady friends. And um, <clears throat> then these surfers came along and I thought, I'm going to try this. Mm. Was it the sport of it, the athleticism of it that kind of drew you? No, it's the culture. It's the lifestyle. Well, see, I wanted to... clothing. I wanted to talk about that because it really seems like you're discovering surfing right when the surfing culture kind of in America kind of takes off. The Beach Boys, Dick Dale, like all of this is kind of happening. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, as I got into surfing, we were, we listened to the blues and jazz. Now we're talking. You know. Uh, the Beach Boy stuff, only if you wanted to meet the girls, because they would listen to it, you know. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, uh-huh. well, the Beach Boys are going to play, or, you know, something. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Okay, yeah. well. All right. So by the blues, are we talking Hendrix, or are we no, talking, no. like, well, Delta the, Blues? Well, that whole scene was coming, you know, uh-huh. and the rock and roll and the Beatles and all that stuff. So you're stuff. talking, like, Muddy Waters. Yeah, and a lot of the... Because uh, I hung around older guys, and you know, the 18, mm-hmm. 19, and 20-year-olds, and they were moving on away from that whole uh, Beach Boy stuff. Bubblegum. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they, they were into blues and jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I sort of we got into that a little bit. And Anyway, uh, so surfing, and uh, that's what got me started. And then after that... I think by the time of when I got into high school, it was very uh, culturally uh, different. Um, uh-huh. we, in those days, we had the greasers, yeah, we had the jocks, yeah, we had the beatniks, pre hippies, mm-hmm. the beatniks, yeah, and then the surfers. Uh-huh. And the jocks didn't like the surfers, huh? So there was. They were picking on us, yeah. you know, and there were fights going on just because the way we dressed, the way our, our hair was getting a little longer, yeah. you know, uh, we weren't into the sports scene, you know, that sort of thing. So I remember going into sophomore year in high school and going, oh boy, I've heard about the, the mugs, they were called the mugs, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that scene happened. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was okay. It was all good. So did you... So. Okay, what was your first car? And is that in high school? No, actually, I, I uh, my first car was a Studebaker, an old pink Studebaker, nice. 1950, kind of the boxy ones. 19, know? this is a tradition on this podcast, 56. we always want to talk, okay. 1950s pink, ba- peach color, as, you know, God, I was 17, 18, <laughs> I don't remember, but the point, I'm my first car was actually in Hawaii. I moved to Hawaii oh. when I was 17. Well, let's talk about that. You mentioned so, Hawaii earlier. So you so you spend a couple of years at Monterey High being a surfer. Yeah, but I was out of, I was I wasn't into sports. Yeah. I, I remember the track coach was really upset with me because <laughs> when I came out of Fremont Junior High School, I had 
the best times and the, and the three quarter mile and uh-huh. 880 and all that stuff. Mm. And of course, you Speaking go into high school, then a, the coach from the junior high is saying, "Get this yeah, guy that's on the right. track yeah. team." Yeah. You know? And even in my sophomore year, I had the best times during track season f- for the entire school. Huh. And uh, but I was into going to the beach, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so my my grades started to fall. I just wasn't into school anymore. I just that wasn't what I wanted to do. That's uh, that's a very surfery <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I I I had most of my friends were older. They were eighteen and nineteen. I'm I'm sixteen, seventeen, and uh, one of my friends was Hawaiian and um, invited me to come to stay with him in Honolulu. And so I asked my parents if I could, and I promised them I'd go to high school there and everything. That didn't. Not, no. s- not so much. <laughs> no, no. It turns out. It turns out if you fall in love with surfing at Monterey, wait till you hit the yeah. North Shore so Hawaii. I, right? Yeah, and so I, I kind of bailed on school. Yeah, and uh, but a lot of good surfing got done. Pretty much, but it was a, uh, it was different. I mean, mm-hmm. the waves there are much more powerful. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I remember it tested my confidence level quite huh. a bit. And because my parents didn't have money, I had to work mm-hmm. to make money to live mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So between working and, you know. So at 17 years old, you just said, all right, see you, mom and dad. I'm going to go to Hawaii mm-hmm. and get a job and go to school and go to school and just start my life. Mm-hmm. Just go live life. That's an amazing. There's not very many 17 year olds who are even super motivated to get a job at home, much less go start their own <laughs> yeah. life in well, another state that feels, I mean, Hawaii is another state, but it kind yeah. of feels like another and, and that And that was also an awakening because um, around that time would be what, 669, you know, mm-hmm. 68, 69. Um, there were a lot of, there was some raci- racial strife, you yeah. know, being a Howley. And if your hair it was long and you were a Howley, <clears throat> there were incidences where uh, guys would just get off the airplane, Howleys mm-hmm. would get off the airplane, hitchhike into town and get picked up by the local boys mm, and, and found later. Up. Yeah. yeah, and found later oh, wow. on the side of the road. You know? wow. There was a lot of that. Mm. You know? Did you know that before you went? Or did you go just thinking there's waves nah, and sunshine? you know, aloha, you yeah. know, but aloha w- was prevalent in the 50s. Uh-huh. If I had a time machine, that's probably when I would love to go back to Hawaii and uh-huh. be in that time. But by the 60s rolled around, you remember that was the all that turmoil, the Vietnam War, the, uh, yeah. that whole scene was going down and uh, a lot of um, differences of opinion with yeah. people. And uh, I remember one time I was on the Big Island <clears throat> and uh, we were on the roadside hitchhiking and... Uh, the military guys came down in a jeep, mm. and there, I guess there was a training camp further down the road or something, and they had a machine gun in the back of this, hmm. and they popped off a couple rounds at us. Whew. Now I'm pretty sure they were blanks because for sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, it was probably a, a you know, but a, they were trying to scare you. Exercise, yeah. you know, yeah, and uh, oh god, they, yeah, they were trying to scare you at work, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> So, but that was Hawaii. And so talk to me more about surfing culture. What was it that drew you? It like, it, it was a fit for your personality. Yeah. I, I'm a rebel. I'm a mm-hmm. maverick. Mm-hmm. And that whole surf thing was kind of that way. 
It's like a peaceful rebellion. Is that the yeah. you, the way you'd say it? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, peaceful rebellion. <laughs> that would make a great title for a, my surf surfing film. life. Surf film. Yeah. Let's make a peaceful surf film called rebellion. Peaceful Rebellion. Yeah, the the whole thing, and of course the the drug scene, the pot smoking, and you know the craziness and the wildness. I mean, surfers. If you study the history of California surfing back in the late '40s, early '50s, and early '60s, it was very counterculture. Mm-hmm. You know, they were bad boys. They were hmm. uh, not bad as far as, but just crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the drinking, kind of uh, like adrenaline junkie, yeah. Okay, and things like that, and uh, it was. Uh, so that's know. funny. Kind of the stereotype. Stereotype maybe now is super laid back, like you know, maybe still some drug culture being a part of it or whatever. But even most, uh, we all know surfers that aren't in, in the drug culture or no. whatever, you know, it, but it's just a more laid back yeah. attitude. I even think like, I wonder what Spicoli from oh, um, Fast, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I wonder yeah. how much that like has, has permeated the yeah, stereotype. So you're saying it didn't really start like super laid back. It started like more like, like, I don't want to say violent, but just not violent, just edgy. crazy. Yeah, edgy. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Some, uh, just craziness, you know, yeah. just being loony, you know, and, mm. and laughing about it. Mm. I mean, surfers mm. would laugh when you wiped out, you know, yeah. and when you're wa- they're watching you surf, you know. And in those days, we didn't have leashes on our boards, so if you lost your board, yeah. you'd have to swim for it. But if the board landed on the rocks, we'd all be sitting there on the pier laughing. Uh-huh. Uh, look at his board getting banged up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but well, it's just you, that, that yeah. thing. You can see some of that a little bit. Like being in the ocean is a very, like, humbling experience. You know, like it, it's it's peaceful but terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but um, yeah, surfing. And it's been a lifelong. <laughs> there's never been a time when you didn't well, love surfing. Yeah, I stopped. Oh, you did. Yeah. Tell us why. Uh, I came back from Hawaii when I was twenty. And I, I was getting to that point where I was fed up with that lifestyle. Okay. The, the pot smoking and the kind of loser life lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know. And I was just, uh, I just remember being fed up. Mm. And I came back and um, went to MPC because mm-hmm. I wanted to go to school. I wanted mm-hmm. to go to college. And mm-hmm. I got my GED. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I wanted to get that. And I got that done. And uh, I was a good student. I, even when I when I passed my GED, the lady said, "Well, we normally don't have people students get score that high on their yeah. GED." <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, no, it's not like I studied for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I kind of mm-hmm. knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I went back to college and I took up art because I've always been an artist. Even as a kid, I loved to draw. And, mm-hmm. and my brother, especially, was a very talented artist. He could have worked for Disney. Mm-hmm. That's how he was. Like for me, for me to draw, I have to look at something to draw it. My mm-hmm. brother could draw from memory. Wow, and, and yeah. Pretty realistic, you yeah. know, as far as muscle tone, like if he was drawing a horse, for mm-hmm. instance. You know. Not me, I got to look at a picture of a horse, or mm-hmm. <laughs> I should look at a horse to draw it mm-hmm. and come off technically um, skillful, as where my brother could. Anyway. Uh, he, we were drawing him when we were five years old. Mm. Mm. So mm. anyway, I went back to college at MPC, or went to college at MPC and took up art classes and uh, took a ceramics class just for the heck of it. So around that time, I didn't, 
I stopped surfing. The water mm-hmm. was too cold, you know. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. And I wanted to focus on school. And I took a ceramics class and uh, got hooked. Hmm. And was making pottery hmm. on a potter's well. Hmm. I was 21. By the time I was 22, I had my own pottery studio in Pacific Grove. All right. And so this would be 72, 73, that, you know... Funny thing, I wish I'd have brought at one of my flyers. I actually have a color brochure from 1974 of my work that I, because I treated it like a business. Yeah, mm-hmm. I made pottery at a on a potter's wheel, and I was just making one after another. Hmm. It's what we call production pottery, mm-hmm. not this art pottery. This mm-hmm. was production pottery. I wanted to make pottery for the masses, mm-hmm. you know. So my work was very reasonably priced. It was very skillfully done, mm-hmm. and all that hippie earth colors that was real popular okay, back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. The copy Rusts mugs, the planners, and, yeah. And, yeah. you know, all the earth tones yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, and uh, and I became relatively successful at it. I, uh, from my pottery studio, at my home studio in Pacific Grove on 16th Street, to mm-hmm. a little shop in Monterey on in Oak Grove. Mm-hmm. Yep. Over there. Yeah. By Valniza's Market. Yeah. On, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Oak Grove there by the postgraduate school. Yep. I also uh, taught supplies or taught lessons and sold supplies. Huh. So I had a perfect little shop. It was very well put together. <clears throat> and uh, most of my students were Navy wives from okay. the postgraduate school. Uh-huh. So I had private lessons that I would teach. And... Um, as a matter of fact, my uh, one of my the gals—they're all women. All oh, the women okay, love yeah. to make pottery. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And, yeah, there were too many men, except for um, it was difficult to make pots on a potter's wheel. Yeah, it's not an easy task. Uh-huh. And uh, so the ladies, a couple of the gals, would go home and just complain to their husbands. It's so hard to do, you know, uh-huh. but our teacher's so good at it. And, 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 but, and I was, well, yeah, yeah, it can't be that hard. Said, well, then, why don't you sign up? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, as a matter of fact, that's how I met my dermatologist. <laughs> I've had for 40 some odd years, is his wife, Susan, had come in to take lessons. And she came in one day and said, My husband thinks it's easy. He can do this. And I said, Well, bring him in. Yeah, we'll see how good it. he can yeah, do yeah, it. it you know? <laughs> so, Dr. Gorlick came in and um, we realized he was a dermatologist. And I had this thing, skin uh-huh. issue. And I said, Well, you're going to be my new dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> had another one um, gal I thought she was a Navy wife uh-huh. because back in those days the postgraduate school Navy officers could wear beards mm-hmm. oh, okay the head admiral of mm-hmm. US mm-hmm. Navy allowed uh, men the soldiers or not the soldiers the yeah. officers to wear yeah. beards so I had she brought in her husband who said the same thing you know mm-hmm. oh, I can do that yeah well come on in mm-hmm. so um, he came in and Honestly, he got pretty good real fast. (laughs) He was really cool. I really liked him a lot. And uh, he had a beard. And he went to Naval Postgraduate School. So Uh I figured he was in the um, Navy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are Army guys, the military, uh, Mm -hmm. Air Force guys at the Navy Postgraduate School. Mm But they can't wear beards. Only the Navy guys. So he had a beard. And we got to know each other. And pretty soon I was going over their house for dinner. He's in the army, huh? and I said, I, I can't remember his name. And again, this is, we're talking forty years ago. Yeah. Well, how do you? If you're in the army, how do you get a beard? How did you do that? I, said, I just grew it. 
<laughs> I don't have to wear a uniform. They don't yeah. have to wear uniforms uh, back in those days, right? Yeah. yeah. He just kind of blended in. It's I like said, a well, spy. Don't, don't you have to answer to your commanding <laughs> officer once in a while? He goes, nope. You know? <laughs> and I said, I love the guy immediately. He was just like me, a rebel, a, a rebel, maverick, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> That's so, amazing. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Okay, yeah. so I I went to high school a, like a little bit after you. A little bit? Well, just a little bit. But the way you talk <laughs> about like surfing really feels like the punk rock thing. Yeah. It, it, there's a similar like, like uh, we're not great with authority. Right. N- not thrilled with people telling us what, what to, to do. do. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you tell me this is the most popular thing I'll say, well, then I don't really like yeah. it. And I want this thing over here. Yeah. And, and if the girl's parents found out you, they were dating yeah, a surfer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, trouble. <laughs> it was trouble. You are not going to go out with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He but, surfs yeah. <laughs> or he's in the punk rock. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, and I always, I've just always appreciated people that have original thoughts that it's yeah. not just party line. It's like, tell me what you really think. Yeah. Not, not just tell me what, the teaching is on whatever but like let's let's yeah it, settle for truth it's kind of cool because um the surfers i know today yeah we're in our 60s mm-hmm. and they've been surfing since they were 15 um doctors mm-hmm. lawyers mm-hmm. Uh, very successful business people but when you're with them Mm-hmm. They're still a surfer at heart, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. especially um, a doctor that I know, an eye doctor. I don't know if I'm allowed to say names, but he's a great guy. And, and he's an eye, do- eye surgeon, eye doctor. Yeah. But when he's at the beach, yeah, he's just like <laughs> he's a, a surfer. Go, yeah, really? Are you really a doctor? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they give you sharp things around people, and he's a good surfer. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess he did his pre med in Texas, and mm. so when we'd see each other at the beach and the waves weren't all that good. He'd look at the waves here and he would say, better than any day in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) The only place he could surf in then was the Gulf of Mexico in Texas, you know? So it's just funny how that is, you know, that today, I mean, but back then in the sixties, there were no doctors or attorneys Uh, or surfers. They were all kind of, you know, scruffy, scruffy. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, Became a potter, uh-huh. and from my shop in in Monterey, I moved off to a shop in Carmel. Okay, and uh, I could so see you with a yeah. pottery shop in Carmel. Oh, that just sounds. I, I killed it. That just <laughs> sounds like exactly. I my made really um, made a great living, and I bought my first home when I was twenty seven. Bought a brand new truck hmm. when I was twenty seven. All from my business, you yeah, know, from my pottery business. Uh, you know, you identify your market, and you yep. you go after it. Yep. You know, but making pottery was a very very hard work. Oh, and it's it's long, especially. I mean, you're talking about production pottery, but you're yeah. the you're the means of production, right? You're right. not farming out this. You're not getting pottery from a manufacturer overseas. You're this is all artisan stuff. Yeah, and I did have assistants. You know, I had uh-huh. people that worked under me. Um, Jenny was one. Jeremy was another, and they would finish my work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I would. Anyway, it was very much like a little business, a little mm-hmm. factory of sorts, but a studio production mm-hmm. we called it, and uh, it was fun. It was some great times. Do you still throw a pot no. every now and then? No. Nope, no. not at all. No. Turn the page somewhere. Yeah, along turn the, way. the page. Yeah. How'd that happen? Uh, 
it was much more profitable to sell other people's work. Ah. So from my shop in Carmel, I, I instead of selling my work, I sold other people's work. Uh-huh. So I would buy it wholesale, mm-hmm. and then I do our you know marketing or markup and mm-hmm. then put it out there in the retail business. I would still buy my own work and sell it to my store. Uh-huh. And when I worked my store, I sold a lot of my work because the tourists would come in and oh you're you made this oh, yes yeah, I did oh, yeah. bought you know yeah. just because they could say they go back home and say I, I met the I, artist I met the artist that built made this yeah know? so it was kind of fun but after a while my baby was born Renee was born and. Um, being in the in the studio making pottery was a drag. <laughs> you know? Okay, it's better to just be the store owner, you know, and uh-huh. and just go to the and take care of it in that respect. So, but anyway, <clears throat> did that for up until I was about forty one, <laughs> and um, became a real real estate agent. I got my license, and but back in eighty six. I just sold my store in Carmel, and I went to Hawaii with my girlfriend at the mm-hmm. time. I had already been divorced uh, with Kathleen, Renee's mom. But, and then when I was in Hawaii on the beach, I rented a surfboard. Mm. First time I've been on a board in 15 years, right? Because mm. I left surfing in 1970, say, mm-hmm. and in 1985, I got... So you just thought, ah, we're in Hawaii. Yeah. What's it going to I used hurt? to do this. Ah, I, I wonder this. if I can still do it. Yeah. I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I got hooked all over again. Yeah. Came back, um, got the wetsuit, the, the boards, wetsuit you, you know, called up some old friends that were back into surfing, and mm-hmm. I got into the lifestyle. Ended up costing my relationship with Sharon. Oh, we man. sold a house. Okay, well, let, let me ask about that. So... When you gave up surfing, you were giving up the whole culture, the yeah, drug culture w- and the whole thing. Right. So when you got back into it, it was difficult to pick up the waves without picking up the negative stuff too? Yeah, or? no, the culture started to change in the 80s. Okay. Surfers weren't, you know, of course, we were in our late 30s, early 40s now. Okay. And mostly and, families right, and families, houses. And so yep. that lifestyle left, but in your heart, you were still... Committed mm-hmm. to going to the beach and checking for waves, and mm. and uh, so that's kind of what I did. And then I I became what's referred to as hardcore. I I mean, in my 41, 42, 43, 44 years old, I was into surfing, mm. you know. And mm. so, um, and I still was physically f- capable of you know handling shredding the, pretty good. Eh, well. <laughs> 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 not was, dying at bone yeah no i was core you know i mean i was um i've got some great shots of me if you'd like to do yeah yeah mm-hmm. i had a knack for catching some good waves while a photographer was on the beach oh ah, cool so the um, my, the walls of my home are just lined with shots of me it's all about mm. me baby you know? <laughs> so anyway so where are the best where are your favorite spots around here i know it changes day to well day, but... you know i've uh back in the uh younger days uh well, you know, 20 years ago, so I'm in my 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Marina Beach. Mm. Uh, I liked the, the infamous the Riptide. Yeah, there, there was a lot more punch there, and, and I liked that that shape of that wave. Um, I did a couple trips to Indonesia, Oof. and that that was a blast. Yeah, that was fun. And um, but now that I'm in my 60s, I prefer little waves. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, so I played team sports and like loved baseball, basketball, all that. And one of the most difficult things I'm, st- I feel like I'm kind of there, but one of the most difficult things of the last 10 years has been, can I enjoy sports where I'm not as good as I used to be? It, do surfers have that too? Like, like, like my rotator cuff just will not let me throw a ball as hard as I used to. And so it's like, can I, can I still enjoy being out there? Even if I went to hit tennis balls, I was a, I was a big tennis player in high school and I went to hit tennis balls just with my daughter. Like, it's not like we played tennis. I was just, but just to try to couple of first serves and I still feel it. That was four days ago, you know? And I go, man, Mm -hmm. can you enjoy it? Without being at your peak, well, the, is that a surfer thing too? Yeah, it, but we say that um, you, you're never gonna stop surfing. Your mm. board's just gonna get longer because <laughs> <laughs> yes. the longer boards are Always bigger, easier, they yeah. float better. It's yeah. a different style of surfing. Yeah. Uh, it's not yep. the shredding like the youngsters do. Yeah. You know, the rip and tearing and all that stuff. You yeah, know? we're more into the glide. You know, more. Uh-huh. so that's what happens. And then as you get older, uh, stand-up surfing, mm-hmm. stand-up paddle surfing now has mm-hmm. become very popular with the older guys because you don't have to pop up anymore. Ah, Try to do a burpee right now. Go ahead, yeah. sit on the ground and do a burpee yeah. and do a couple of them. We'll let Patrick do that. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to remember that the He board... just did 10 of them, by yeah, the way. <laughs> right, while we were watching. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, the way... The wave is moving, yeah, and it's critical, and you got to get to your feet, and you know, and the board is moving, and so, and then you got to do a burpee, you know, and uh, what we call it pop up. Yep, know? I can't do it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not as fast as I used to be, mm-hmm. you know. And if you're so at stand up, you're already you're on a battleship of a board. Which yeah. can catch anything, <laughs> right? The slightest little ripple. Yeah, you know? sometimes when you don't want it to. Yeah, <laughs> and you're already standing on your feet. Yeah. And you got a paddle in your hand, which you can use for balancing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's a whole. So have you made the jump to stand oh, yeah. up? Yeah, oh, you yeah, have. Yeah. Okay. I, it took me a while. I, yeah. I didn't do it until I probably was about 65. I was, you know, diehard for the traditional surfing. And, uh-huh. But all my friends started doing it, and and uh, they're catching a lot of waves. Yeah. Because it's a mm. wave count thing now. Ah, right. Because you got to remember, okay, you're not long for this earth, you know, and what really uh, matters? Well, catching a lot of waves matters, you know, matters, yeah. because pretty soon. Because so, probably the best wave of your life is behind you. The one, that, the, the biggest, yeah. the, like you kind of get to that point. Yeah. Like, and, and I think there are some like parallels to the kind of sports that I loved and played. Like I'm never going to hit a ball as far as I did. Yeah. Like my, the, my, my furthest golf drive is probably behind me. Yeah. My, my the, the time I threw a Frisbee the furthest is probably behind me. It's like, yeah, now you're going for other things. It's yeah. about accuracy now, yeah. <laughs> not about distance. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. that's kind of where we're at right now. But I, I've been um, stretching and exercising. I'm going to go see if I can still do regular surfing. Uh-huh. I'm going to try it. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can pop up, you know. Yeah. So I've been doing burpees on, on land and uh, mm-hmm. practicing. Hmm. Zach and is, doctor's orders. I have to surf more. Well, if the doctor says so, <laughs> yeah, you would be wrong not to. Yeah. So yeah. I have a primary care physician now, and he's been putting me through the battery of tests. Mm. And uh, I did have an issue in March about with my neck. Mm. Um, 
he thinks it's stress. Mm. I'm not sure. Surfing's good for that too. Yeah, he suggested that. And you know what? I got five days straight in a row, some good little waves. Mm -hmm. He's right. Feel a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very relaxing. So there is something great. Like what I've always like been jealous of surfers is that like when you're surfing, you're not doing anything else. True. You know, like you're not I, answering your phone. You're not answering sure. your phone. That's mm. what I. It's what I like about swimming for exercise. You know, it's like there's you just there's the bubbles, and that's it. Right. You know, like there's no the whole world is kind of gone. That's in that's yeah. it. Really is like sanctified, holy time, right? This yeah. is time where this is is set apart for just this. I do have a confession. Speaking of holy times. And- mm. I blew off church services a couple times because the waves. Because the waves. <laughs> you know what? You know what, James? I'm your pastor, and I need to tell you. Sometimes you got to fight legalism and ditch church. Yeah, yeah. that's. Yeah. Well, I, you don't want to be a legalist. The 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 day it came together for me on stand up surfing was Christmas Day, and I'm trying to remember what year was it? Two two thousand fifteen, I think. Um, because it, it took me a while to get the hang of it, you know, mm-hmm. because of the balance on the board and paddling and, and, and the timing of catching waves, it came together for me on Christmas Day. And I, I got up early, purposely got up early because Renee was in town, but she was staying the night with mom. Mm-hmm. And the, both those ladies sleep in and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm up at the crack of dawn. I mm-hmm. don't hang on. I want to go to the beach and see what's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. you know. And at the time I was surfing wharf number two, which mm-hmm. uh, it was a big swell running in. Wharf number two breaks on a big swell. And that wave is kind of a rubber ducky wave, you know, and, and it's the toilet bowl because it's, it's wharf. It's got oil it's got mm, stuff it's mm, got mm. sewage you know and i never surfed it when i was a kid because it's low rent you don't go there and surf that place oh i know? see huh because it's a lower quality wave but for stand-up it was a great learning experience huh and so christmas morning i got up and i went straight to the wharf because the swell was way big and you know i'm not going to do anything crazy and i want to learn how to do this stand-up and it's breaking and mm. nobody's out Mm. So I suit up and paddled out, and I had the time of my life. That morning, it came together. Mm-hmm. The timing was there, and it's a nothing of a wave, really. Yeah, yeah. But, and I remember um, there was there was this big sea otter up against the wharf, and there's the wharf is a cement wall. Yep. And the, the sea otter, he was a big boy, and he had a, a shellfish on his chest, and he was banging it. Yeah, we the just cement. watched him do yeah. that the other day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to break it yeah. open to eat it, and I, he wasn't paying. He looked over at me, and I looked at him, and he just kept going banging yeah. away. You yeah, know? <laughs> and there was some Asian people, tourists up on the, up on the wharf taking pictures of, and they go sea lion. We take pictures sea lion. I said no, 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 no. Lean uh-huh. over and take a picture of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is really important. Yeah. You know? Sea otter, sea otter, sea uh-huh. otter. More better than sea lion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this so, is Monterey. We yeah. care about our and otters. This one guy uh, uh, said, uh, well, Oh, I take a picture of you. I go, Okay. <laughs> I'm good with that. That's fine. So he, his angle is he's sitting on the, standing on the wharf, shooting down at me uh-huh. while I'm catching a wave. Hmm. And uh, he asked me for my phone number. So I give my phone number. And when I climbed out of the water, church service was long past. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had pictures of that. So I edited it and I did a Merry Christmas to all my friends and text them the yeah, cool. edited thing. Yeah. Merry Christmas with, oh, what fun it is to write <laughs> wave on Christmas Day. Nice. It was, uh, it was fun. Anyway, so. That's awesome. 
That's cool. I love Surfers that you love surfing. Bells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to do it more, but I'm too lazy. I don't like to go cruising around for waves. I, I'd mm. rather just go to my little home break. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if it's there, it's there. It's and if there. It's not, yeah, so. I'm not going to Santa Cruz. I don't want to surf with a bunch of people. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't want to go down the coast or you know, just stay home. Well, um, so I've never known a surfer that didn't like appreciate the spiritual aspect of being like in the, the power, like, oh, say, okay. So pardon me for sounding like the pastor, but like the sea is the symbol of chaos in the scriptures, right? It's like power and untamable and all that. And when you're out there, you get a little understanding of that. Yeah. I, I, I call it, um, sometimes I'll say, I need to go get baptized today. Ah, you know, and get yeah. into the water. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, uh, I had a little garden sign that I received as a gift and, um, starts off, I'm trying to remember it, unfortunately got beat up by the weather and mm-hmm. I had to finally let it go. But God created the earth and the seas mm. and saw that it was good mm. and said, Surf's up, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that because that's what God is to me. God speaks my language. Uh, Ah, come on now. You know, if if he was here or Jesus was here and was talking to me, that I think that's the way he would talk to me. Yeah. And something that I could relate to. But I, that was one of my favorite things. I wish I could find that again. I'm sure I can. I probably have to Google it or something. Yeah. But surfs up, dudes. That's cool. <laughs> God created the Do you mind telling us? It was good. <laughs> Do you mind telling us the story of how you came to faith? Yeah, I'd love to. It was a life changing experience. Um, I'm trying to remember, 2008, mm-hmm. I lost a ton of money in the big downturn. Huh. Okay. Um, thought I was a big smart guy and being a real estate broker. That, but I did. I mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. And not monopoly money. I mean, some real money. Yeah. And um, it was detrimental to my ego as mm. far as being a businessman and uh you know everything that happened <clears throat> so i was in the down in the dumps and i uh, was starting to question the whole idea of who i am and what was i doing mm. i could do it all myself i don't need anybody i'm a mm-hmm. rebel i'm a maverick you know mm-hmm. i can do this and and margaret cooper mm-hmm. god bless her uh, she was one of my friends or clients i did some business with the cooper family and um, kept saying, well, why don't you come to church? No, no, I don't do church. No. Mm-mm. Had there been a walking away on purpose from the faith of your childhood, or was there just like a drift? It just it, wasn't a big deal? Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Religion is really what was my biggest argument about mm-hmm. my faith. I mean, I've, I am a believer in God, but mm-hmm. am I educated about you know, the, mm-hmm. the word and mm-hmm. the teachings of Jesus and all that. Nah, I kind of let that side. But the religion was my biggest beef. Okay. You know, because yep. I felt that uh, God created man and man created religion. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a difference there. So it mm-hmm. wasn't, uh, um, especially the Catholic Church, there's just too many rules. Lot, lot you know? of, yeah. oh, it wasn't a good fit for a surfer no, kid. Yeah. Know, too many rules. <laughs> Nobody's going to tell me how to wear my hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of the other religions, you know, you got to wear a beard, you got to wear a, <laughs> a skull cap or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> she, m- m- Margaret Cooper, said, Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to church? No, 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 I don't go to church. Oh, she would not give up. Yeah. 
Finally, I remember telling her, okay, if I come to church, will you stop asking me? She said, yes. It's okay. So I showed up. Mm-hmm. It was the most uncomfortable thing in my life. Mm. <laughs> I showed up to this church. Yeah. And uh, it, it was weird. Mm. And uh, But then after church, they all attacked me like sharks. Yeah. Know, because oh, there's yeah. a new guy. Who That's are right. you? Yeah. This, I'm so-and-so. da 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 and I remember meeting Esther, um, and she mentioned something about, well, if you excuse me, I have to get the kitchen ready f- to feed the needy. And my eyes lit up. Really? Mm. Um, <clears throat> could I help you? And she huh. said, yes, of course. You know. Mm. And um, I, I had something I wanted to do since my brother's passing mm. in 05, I believe it was. Uh, that I've always felt that in remembrance and carrying on the legacy of my brother's passing, I wanted to do something to feed the homeless because my brother ended up being homeless. I see. I had to let him go. I see. Um, And that's another part of the story. But uh, you you try to help someone time after time after time, but they're not helping themselves. Yeah. Mm. And... um, I think after my mother's passing in 85, he just spiraled downhill. Mm. Just, it just got worse. The alcohol, the drugs, and mm. couldn't keep a job. And he'd come and live with me for a while, and I'd set some rules, like no alcohol, no drugs in the house, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but he'd always somehow. And then I'd set him up in a little studio apartment, or mm-hmm. a one-bedroom apartment through my business. You know, mm-hmm. I could and make sure his rent was paid on time and everything. And uh, Finally, it, it just... Just didn't work. I, you know, and I went to Al-Anon meetings, and they said, you know, you can't enable them. That's right. You have to let them go. Yeah. And so this third time around, when he threatened a landlady who happened to be one of my clients, mm-hmm. in a drunken rage or stupor mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, he was out on the streets, and I he asked if he'd come and stay with me, and I said, no. Yeah. That's hard. And that was really hard. That's very hard. So he was on the streets for a while, and, um, and, but I would put him to work, mm-hmm. you know, cleaning my yards or working on my yards, and I'd pay him, I uh, forget what it was, 15 bucks an hour or whatever, 10 bucks an hour. But I wouldn't give him the money. I put it aside and said, I'm mm-hmm. going to keep it for you so that we can get you an apartment, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're going to work for it. I'm not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And he was good with that. And... Um, and I, I always asked him, I said, well, where are you living? What are you, how are you getting fed, you mm-hmm. know? And, well, I, I could go down into the iHelp program. And what's iHelp, you mm-hmm. know? And he said, you know, inner faith homeless emergency lodging program, mm-hmm. iHelp. And told me a little bit about it. And then uh, told me he got kicked out of iHelp because of some politics. Well, yeah, I, I yeah, find out later yeah. he got kicked out yeah, because right. he'd been drinking. That's you right. Know. We know what those Yeah. Are. So, <clears throat> and then in, um, he was pretty sad, but, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. And um, anyway, he uh, he drank himself to death, basically. Mm, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, but he did tell me that, you know, there were programs out there where he could, you know, eat, uh, eat and, yep. and what have you. And, uh, and interestingly enough, he did keep one job, and that was down at the uh, harbor. His job was to scare off the um, sea lions from resting on the docks. 
Okay. So hmm. that the uh, boat folks could go down on the docks without freaking out, having mm-hmm. a big old sea lion <laughs> sitting on them. And that was his job, to hose them off. And uh, the harbor people liked Richard. And even, and even though later, I found out later that uh, he said he would show up drunk. Mm-hmm. But he, he could stand, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he could do it, yeah. <laughs> so they said they would allow him to work. And I go, wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing, you know. But he did witness the birth of a, a sea otter huh. uh, and sketched it out, uh, which I thought was really amazing. Huh. That he, he wasn't so drunk that he, yeah. he had any... <clears throat> I still have that drawing somewhere, and it was very well done, very well mm-hmm. executed, a little mama... Uh, sea lo- otter have mm-hmm. given birth, you know, mm-hmm. right on the docks, which is really rare. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> back to... Uh, so you're at, at Lighthouse for the first yeah, time. Yeah, first time, and, and Esther's getting ready to feed the homeless, and I asked if I could help, and she said, please do. Yeah. Of course, with my kitchen background with my father, I, uh-huh. I know I remember Esther telling me, well, you sure do know your way around a kitchen because I yeah. could almost second guess what tool she uh-huh. needed, you know, yeah. while she's stirring or chopping, you know, I could uh-huh. hand it to her and, mm-hmm. you know, do the dishes and things like that and helped her uh, serve. And I remember that was a very emotional thing for me to watch the people in line, standing uh-huh. in line waiting to be served. And I remember thinking, oh, my brother was in this line. Uh-huh. He was here. And... Um, so I found that to be very rewarding. It was like a calling. Because when he passed away, I remember calling I help to see if I could volunteer or donate money mm-hmm. in his memory. And whatever happened, nothing ever happened. Yeah. So three, four, three years later, here I am at Lighthouse and I'm serving. You know what I love about that story is you kind of saying, look, religion was never going to be a good fit for me. Right. And I came to church, sat in a church service, uncomfortable the whole time. But then serving people in need, that was a good fit. Yeah. Like that, I... <laughs> I it, it made sense to me. Okay, so I did that. And then she says, well, we have to get ready for Monday because we do I help on Monday. You do? Can I help you with that? You know? Yeah. And she said, yes, of course, we'd love to have you. So I show up at the kitchen on a Monday and help her with the I help. <clears throat> and then again, I could see my brother and a group of men there. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> got to help on Saturday. Okay, I guess I got to go to church the following Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Second time in I don't know how many years. Yeah. And I haven't left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then I accepted Jesus in my life. It, it wasn't until November, and Fenton Ward helped me with that. Yeah. And I remember that day. We had um, a Thanksgiving dinner party at the church. Uh-huh, yep. Um, fellowship Hall. And I, I remember feeling very empty, mm. hungry, but I was very hungry, so I wanted to take advantage of our mm-hmm. Thanksgiving feast at the mm-hmm. fellowship hall. And uh, but I, I, there was something missing, mm. you know. And I talked to Fenton, and he said, "Are you ready to accept Jesus Christ in your life?" And I said, "Yeah." Mm. And it's, uh, it's making me feel a little emotional right now. And so we went outside on the porch patio, and we sat there, and. He helped me through it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm not hungry anymore. Mm-hmm. And I told Fenton, I said, I can't go back in the, in the fellowship hall right now. And I know it's a cause of celebration, mm-hmm. but I need to be alone. You know, I need. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, we're going to get ready to eat. And I said, I'm not hungry anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm filled, mm-hmm. you know. So not only was my heart filled, but so yeah. I my, my stomach yeah. too, you know. Yeah. So that that was uh, a turning point in my life. And, and the reason... 
I, one of the reasons I've been thinking about this since you told invited me to the podcast here that why is it that Jesus came to me so easily? Because he's so easy. Huh. You know, there's no rules. Uh. There's no way I have to dress. You know, yeah. it's just accepting Jesus is really a very simple way to believe in God. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so I'm 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 good with that. I I yeah. love that whole concept. You know, and and I I study the other religions and I go nope, too many rules. Nope. Yeah. And, and even Fenton told me something about the early Hebrews that they did something where they would cup water in their hand and raise their hand. And, uh, and, uh, and the water dripping down their mm-hmm. arm mm-hmm. towards their elbow, and they would measure that as a measurement of their faith. What? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, I don't get that, yeah. you know. Yeah. So um, anyway, but God bless Fenton and Margaret and Margaret Cooper and Benny Amen. Cooper and those people. They were, they were fabulous. And, you know, when I, when I first got here, like, everybody I talked to said, and have you heard about the park ministry? Like, it really has been, like, and that... For for a, a long time, you had partners that came from the community, but as far as connection to that ministry, the, the feeding the homeless on Saturdays, that's really been you leading us for a long time. And you've had partners come and go yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but Esther was number one. Yeah. Esther okay. and, and the Rosses were very instrumental in, in the whole— The Seelys. The Seelys. Yeah. Rosses. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think of Ross and Mary. But, yeah. Uh, they, yeah. They, they've been doing it for years. But yeah. When, and— when uh, Esther passed away, uh, the um, the keys were handed to me, and can you believe it? I actually have a keys to the church. I mean, me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah believe it. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can't believe it. I tell that to all my friends, and I go, I even have a key to the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and you really have represented us so well. And, well, in you know, I mean, I think I've been down there two or three times in the three years I've been here, and and mm-hmm. you just are faithfully. Week after week, and you have, yeah. and again, you have, you're not doing it by yourself. You have partners, and even yeah. Hawaiian Dave, like even David oh, yeah. Ayers, that is, uh, like loves so completely and fully, and loves yeah. to serve down there and all that. But, no, but he serves really, he serves the drinks. He does. Do that's his not job. hand a bottle of water out the to the customers. That's right. You know, that's his job. He, yeah, he's very attached to that job. I love yeah. And he gets a lot of joy out of serving. Yeah, and he, he loves, um, uh, but anyway, I'm yeah. I'm very grateful for. For your ministry around here. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, at one time I was in the chopping, slicing, dicing, saute, and yeah. preparing these big elaborate meals like um, Esther used to do and go to the food bank and do all my shopping for food at the food bank. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot. Of, yeah, <laughs> a lot of, it took me a couple of years to figure it out. Yeah. And uh, loading my little Yaris up with six seven hundred pounds of food stuff yeah. so the, and then unloading it and storing it and then yeah. s- distributing it and then preparing the meals and then i got lazy yeah well, or smarter then yeah. I, re- <laughs> yeah. I realized wait 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 I, you know i'm being blessed smarter yeah. i'm being blessed with this business the cash flow is good most of the time you know yeah. um I think it's cheaper to buy pizza. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no fuss, no yeah, mess, you know, right. no right. cleanup. <laughs> yeah. And so I switched over to pizza for the last year, a couple of years, two years, I think. Now. And, you know, it has been like there have been people here at church that have come and join you. And, oh, yeah. and that's like, really, if you weren't if you didn't provide that structure, we'd have nothing to send them to, you yeah. know, and it's it's really it's really cool that you've 
that it's something that you really own and that you feel a lot of responsibility for it and you do a good job, but you're also very willing to share it. Oh yeah. Share the work. With just other recently, um, Bill Cleary has been coming aboard, you know, and I just love having him there. Uh, he loves to talk to the people. And, yeah. and you know, that's something that's really important. Um, I'm so wrapped up in my selfish little world. And uh-huh. All I want to do is feed them and, and get on with my uh-huh. day. You know? <laughs> so where Bill and I realize that not only do they need food, these people also need some form of communication. Yeah. You know, talk to them. Who are you? What's your name? You know, where yeah. are you from? And Bill does that. Yeah. And it, and it's amazing how many people really get off on that, you know. And now recently we have Aaron and Elizabeth bringing food. Yeah. And I love those two. Yeah. And uh, I'm just so thankful for them. And um, they... Um, they're actually giving me some Saturdays off. I've actually yeah, taken a couple hey, Saturdays hey, imagine off. Imagine that. Now. That's so cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool not to be, because I've been doing it every Saturday for for eight years. Since I was going to say, if we're talking 2008, yeah, nine years there, or yeah. something. Yeah. So if, if there was something we might understand about, homeless folks in in Monterey what would it be oh boy I know that's a big question but you know there's I've been in a lot of discussions with people about the homeless situation Mm. and whatever but you you don't have like you don't see the homeless as like a faceless like you you have a lot of friends you you have people that you see every week that are in that situation and that you care about and Mm -hmm. um what do we what do we miss? What do we need to know? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I've thought about it at great length. You mm. know, how can we solve that? How can we as an individual help? And um I still don't have any answers. It's hard, yeah. You know, I I don't know should it be a, a government thing? You mm. know, uh, And even it should be a church thing, but should, yeah, church thing. But, I mean, if, but we're, we're we we have limited. We're we're very limited. Yeah, as as not just here, but like the church is right. is we're limited. We limited. can do a small can part. So much, yes, yeah. maybe if all the churches got together, maybe if everybody opened up their homes. I don't know if that's the answer. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I I feel like, uh, and and you wonder, will these people ever get it together? You know, will they come back into society? And that's really a hard thing to think. And probably the answer is some. Not and all. Yeah. Not all. Some. Mm-mm. Do you see people kind of transition back, like homeless for a time, and oh, yeah. transition, get kind of pull stuff together? Yeah. And a, a is lot. that rewarding? You, you enjoy seeing that? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my, I one of the things I did in the very beginning. Um, when I got involved with iHelp is that um, I saw I needed help mm-hmm. to, in my business, you know, doing gardening or trash pickup or uh, uh, detrash a house, say, for instance, or help move or do something like that. And as part of my service to my clients, I would say, I can have that done for you at mm. a very reasonable price, mm-hmm. you know. And I would hire these guys, mm-hmm. I help guys, or you know, maybe once in a while. Ramon, for instance, uh, God bless him, and he's a vet, mm-hmm. served in Vietnam. Uh, I know he's had some horrifying experiences, which could be, be part the of the reason story. part yep. of his story. Yep. But Ramon was a good worker, and uh, he worked with me for the longest time. 
and uh, boy, he could dig a ditch like it was an archaeological excavation. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just mm-hmm. good worker, and um, he he finally got it together enough where he's got a place to live now. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, but there's another uh, Eric was another one, but Eric is back in the line. Okay. And I think he has some anger issues. Yeah. You know, maybe alcohol. I don't know. But all of a sudden I found out that he was asked to leave mm-hmm. the house share that he was in. Mm. You know? And you go, oh, gosh. I just That's heartbreaking. I thought you had it all together, mm. you know. Is it hard to be hopeful when, I mean, the, the dream would be you show up on a Saturday and there's no need, right? Everybody's got a yeah. place and a meal. I and, know, I but, know. But we know that that's absolutely not going to happen. Is it hard to be hopeful or, or do you find hope in the, <sighs> is there hope in the work? I would love to say that, that mm. you have hope in the effort you put in or the, is that close or how's that go? No, yeah. I'm afraid that it's um, very much like uh, the church's ministry to reach out to people. You mm-hmm. know, we can never say everybody's going to become a Christian and, and have faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and their life is going to be full and happy. Mm-hmm. You know, we constantly have to be reaching out and making sure that those that we have are, are staying close right? because ah, we've had the same word. issues yeah. right? where people say oh yeah I used to be a Christian and yeah, nah, 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 mm-hmm. whatever and we need to keep those people in our under our wings you know and, and the people out there in the f- streets no they're always going to be there and I think I'm pretty sure I'm sure about this we probably had homeless people in the Bible times. For sure. Yeah, you Jesus know? said, you'll always have the poor with you'll you. You'll always have the poor with us. And, uh, and you can imagine the, the poor in those days had the same kind of thing mm-hmm. that we've got going on here. You know, mental issues and um, emotional issues, physical things that are going on with their and lives. Just, and just life stories that are yeah. overwhelming and medical stuff. And uh, yep, Beggars, remember? That's right. Even in the Bible, there are the That's beggars. Right. You know, mm-hmm. So... I think that's just one of the things that we have to live. And the one thing, though, that I think about, and I don't know if the devil has just come into my lo- my brain, <laughs> but, you know, in the animal kingdom, the weak perish. They fall mm-hmm. prey to the predators. Mm-hmm. And that's the way God has created mm-hmm. the, the, animal kingdom. the survival of, yeah. of the species in, yeah. in the animal kingdom. And I'm thinking, okay, if we look at ourselves as animals then the weak must perish or mm-hmm. will perish. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we've got to take care of them. But yeah, and we're more than animals. Yeah, we're more than animals. The, exactly. Something. And, and, uh, and it's the dignity that you provide that I think, I think that's exactly, because it's easy to say, oh, we're more than animals and, every, and humans are made in the image of God. But right. to say that from my living room is one thing. To say it as you're serving somebody who is broken enough that they're having a hard time even with basic food and shelter stuff Mm -hmm. that really is, is putting the, the, like honoring their dignity in. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's a big part of what you do. We also have, um, you know, children in line. Yeah. Mm. On the Saturday ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that's always a wonder what's going on there, you know? So would you say, um, because you've been doing this a long time. Do you live with like a constant kind of broken heart over the situation? Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of hurts every Saturday. 
or it hurts all the time um, because it's a sad thing yeah. and you're around this sad thing yeah, a lot. And, and, and I, I think every day yeah. does not go by that I don't think about it. I mean, you can't even drive anywhere without seeing a homeless person on the yeah. streets or someone over by Home Depot, you know, asking for money. Yeah. Except for some of them, I happen to know, and they're <laughs> as, <laughs> asking money for drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and I know, I yeah. know who he is. Yeah. And I, no, I'm not going to give you money. You know, I know what you'll do. You yeah. know? And some of those guys can make a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. So I think maybe a lesser person lives with that heartbreak, and you either get hard-hearted and go and. and and stop or you kind of get overwhelmed and you stop mm -hmm. in the middle of that like constant and i think uh, I, let me also commend you in that we are all supposed to look at the culture we live in and have a broken heart every day right mm -hmm. we're like we are longing for the kingdom of god and we clearly are living in the kingdom of sin and death like it's just easy yeah. to see right. and so like how do you keep going in the middle of of being brokenhearted all the time of struggling with faith in jesus christ yeah well, our god you yeah know, i mean uh and a lot of those folks do believe, you know, yeah. and I have to admit they do believe. And the one thing that um, I I started joking around with a couple of them recently, they always say, thank you so much for being here and feeding us. Mm -hmm. And I go, no, thank you for being here. Mm. Could you imagine if you didn't show up <laughs> right after I, did, I bought all this food, you know? <laughs> and, you know, one more thing I wanted to <clears throat> say about uh, joining this church and having... God bring me some wonderful gifts. Yeah. You know, in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to have a restaurant. Mm. Mm. And because of my father's uh, yeah. experience in the restaurant business, and and I just thought, eh, you know, people always have to eat. Yeah. You know? And then when I was making pottery, I had this crazy idea of, of opening up a restaurant with serving some of the dishes in my own little handmade pots. Oh, yeah. And you would take it with you. Oh, so, cool. You know, and, and I just thought, oh, that's a great idea. You yeah, know, and I started is. to build on a business plan, you know. <clears throat> and I even went to, I had my own shop in Monterey at the time, and I went to work in a restaurant mm. just to get some experience. Mm. I didn't really need the job, but, and I treated it as fun, and I convinced the owner to hire me. I started out as a busboy. I was already in my late 20s, um, became a waiter, then I became a bartender, and then it was cashing out the, the drawer. I mm -hmm. mean, the, that much trust was mm -hmm. put into me. And the chef wanted me in the kitchen because, remember, I didn't have to work. I worked because right. I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. you know, I wanted to learn, yeah. you know. And um, so in a matter of eight months, I, you know. <clears throat> but then I realized... It's a lot of it's work a lot and a of lot work. of money. You know, There's a lot, joke less, is, lot do you, less surfing. How do you make a million dollars in the restaurant business? You start with two. Start with you lose two, with yeah. one. You yeah. lose one and <laughs> you keep right. the rest. Yeah. But anyway, um, but it, so I had this crazy idea. And it even has been with me, even to this day, I think about it. And uh, uh, truthfully be known is that I had the name for my restaurant, Big Jim's Good Eats. Mm. I would yeah, definitely you know, go and, and, like and I would eats. try to keep it really the sloppy Joe's sloppy, alone. Yeah, just <laughs> but yet everything would be very clean and, and, yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, but yet I'd play along that whole 
dining. dive yeah. thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, the waiters and waitresses would have aprons on that were stained and everything, but they would be stained with ink, not with yeah. real food, you know. <laughs> the whole thing, uh-huh. you know, the, the chef with the stogie in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and mostly it would be a theater, you know, yeah. entertainment, yeah. you know. Slice of Americana. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, you know, more food than you can eat. And, yeah. and, and Anyway, so I've always had this crazy idea, and then when I joined the church, and then uh, after uh, I took over from Esther, I said, I've been blessed. Mm. I now have a restaurant. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I have a long line of customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have a restaurant. Yeah. You know? I mean, if I stop and think about it, I was ecstatic. Yeah. You know? So uh, for the longest time, I would go down there thinking, oh. Look at all my customers, you know, <laughs> and I'm losing money just like I would if I had a real restaurant. <laughs> it's the real experience. It's the, it's the real, real deal. Thing. There's no profit in this at all. <laughs> no. But I'm loving every minute of it, you know. Mm. So, and then another thing, too, is um, Ross, when he was doing the sound work, um, they brought me aboard. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And I, I always thought that I was fascinated with that, you know, the sound mm. work that board and yeah so i was doing that for a while and, and then i also thought well there's another miracle that god has given me you know, yeah something that i've kind of wanted to do and here i am doing it you know but uh, i don't know if i already said this but i'm going to say it again but um yeah i did but i think when, when you're serving the people and they yeah. say thank you and then yeah. i in turn no thank you because yeah. if you didn't show up you yeah know, i mean it, that to me really means a lot it's such a good picture of service too i mean it sounds trite to say but we really are happier serving like that really is the pathway to joy yeah is to serve you're yeah. not there's there isn't any joy long-term joy in being served over and over again there's joy in serving caring yeah. for people yeah and i think if all of us just do one small part you know we would be good well, James, you're doing a lot of small parts, and I am so grateful. Are we for done? It. We well, oh, it's about an hour and a half, and that's been about already. It, and, oh in fact, gosh. you know, we could keep just keep you talking for another me. hour because he has to get it down to 45 minutes or an hour. You have so, to edit all this. Yeah, that's that's his. <laughs> really? That's his job. Why didn't we just make it 45 minutes and he didn't have to? It's do a all great that time. Work. No, no I enjoyed every he, minute. He of enjoys it. it. Look at him; he's having a great time. Oh yeah. In fact, crazy. The problem. Then he's got to spend another hour and a half listening to every little sentence oh you know cut, he pays cut he just I, I speed it up <laughs> he just he just loves listening to the sound of my voice yeah, that's what he does for fun mm. yeah. ah. <laughs> okay you know the other reason it was good that we went this long is just in the last five minutes you said you like sound ministry and that's a dangerous thing to oh, say around. i don't like it that much i wasn't very <laughs> i wasn't very good at it i really wasn't <laughs> and pastor gus would be speaking you know uh-huh. and i think i'm gonna try this what happens here <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know. <laughs> James, thank you so much You're for welcome. coming in. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. And God bless. I love you guys both. And yeah. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Uh, that is mutual. You are welcome. Right on. That's Patrick Hawksover pulling levers and twisting knobs. Everybody have a great day. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.